Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi, welcome to episode 72 of the Restless Midlifer podcast. And I have another interview uh, today with a, a hero of mine, um, Elaine Cox, Dr. Elaine Cox, who um, I whose work I encountered when I was doing my master's in coaching a couple of years back. Um, and Elaine's written a number of great books which are particularly useful for those those of us in the profession of mentoring and coaching who are seeking to sort of dig deeper and sort of look at the the academic rigor if you like of the profession and how we can see it as a profession rather than just some a, a, a skill to develop it is a skill to develop but it's also something for, for the likes of me a profession it's something that I, I want to develop a, a really rich deep understanding of and that's where um, amongst other books um, Elaine's book, uh, Coaching Understood, A Pragmatic Investigation into Coaching. I think I've got the title right there. If if not, apologies, <laughs> Elaine, it will be in the show notes. Um, but the point of that, that provided a real rich framework for me to start to conceptualize and understand the coaching journey. Now, what does that have to do with yourself as a listener who may not be a coach and really you're more interested in achieving a goal or, you know, reaching a particular um, making a shift or a change in, in your life. Well, the interview itself is great in that we we explore some of the the, the areas of topics. We don't go too deep in ter- terms of the the academia, if you like, the academic life, which would keep it kind of, I think, really grounded and real. Um, but we do talk about some of the key factors, like starting to recognize the, the feelings and, and, and the things that start to prompt you to think, something you know there's something more to this there's something i want to explore what is it and how do i articulate that how do i how do i sort of turn that and interpret the feelings that i'm experiencing you know that that classic question as i often say on these podcasts the is this it question you know as a midlife we turn around and go is this it i've worked hard to get here and you know I don't feel fulfilled or, or what have you. That question will often surface as a feeling or emotion or something, you know, as a result of an experience that might jar us into that place. But then what do we do with it? Now, obviously, as a coach, I'm a, a big believer in receiving coach. I've certainly got my own coach, coaches uh, in different aspects. And um, I certainly believe in the power of that. But I also think that there is a place for self-coaching, self-working through this and recognizing that these feelings are, are something that we, there's no one, we, you know, they're, they're valid. They're, we need to give them some space and to, some time to reflect and work out what do they mean and how do I take them forward in terms of, you know, moving towards a particular goal. Um, so I think it's a great, great interview, hopefully for just getting you to think about that and, and maybe reframe those moments and, and things like reflective practice, the, the practices that I think can be really, really useful for any of us in whatever profession and whatever we're doing to achieve, uh, seeking to achieve in life. Um, and I guess so. That hopefully you'll enjoy that the interview with um, Elaine uh, in that, and she shares a great number of things in that. The question I guess ties into this a little bit is um, one of the things that I think is is a challenge when we are starting to look at what we could do is that there is so many options, there are so many opportunities, so many things that you could do. I don't know about you, but I got to a particular point in my life, I was about 35, 36, 37, thinking, so much I want to do. And I felt a bit like the, the dog off up, you know, when um, whenever there's a squirrel runs by, it's, you're looking at one thing, talking, and then suddenly squirrel, and you're off. And it was so many shiny objects and so many things that I wanted to do. And the realization was that whilst I might be able to do it all, I can't do it all at once. Um, and how do I start to prioritize and focus in on that? So I guess my question to you is, of the things that 
how do how do we sort that out? Of the things that you really want to do, or the changes that you want to make, or the the goals that you the experiences you want to have, the the be do haves, you know, the things that we want to have in life to do in life to um, just experience. Um, of those things, which ones float to the top as being the ones that really really excite you, that you know you love, or that you've tried before and you love to do? Because I think the challenge to achieving the goals and the the goals that really are meaningful to us is the clutter of the the okay goals, the things that be canny. That that'd be fun. I'd like to do that. And often I think it isn't about always about although there is a place for it. Deciding to not do the stuff I don't enjoy, to stop doing that, to spend less time doing the stuff I just hate or really don't like doing. There is a key place for that in organizing our life to sort of identify those. But I also think there's a place for working out what are the things that I like doing, but actually they're not the thing. And that can sometimes be the harder question, the harder challenge to sift away and make a decision to not do that because I want to do it all. I want to achieve it all. I want to enjoy it all and be fulfilled. But sometimes we need to park the likes that, yeah, I would love to. I'd like to have a go at that. That'd be kind of, that sounds fun. Park those to focus on the things that really do grab us, that excite us. And I'd be interested just um, if you do have any that sort of, that do jump out there, what they might be, because I think that is the challenge. Yes, it might be easy to identify things you don't like doing and not so easy perhaps to stop doing them, but that's one thing. But to sift out the likes, we kind of like them, so we might leave them in life. But actually, they might be worthy of putting those down in order to focus and, and go for the real rich stuff. So that's my food for thought this week. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Let me know any thoughts at dave at restlessmidlife.com. Take care for now. You should get it. Hi there. Well, welcome to another episode of the Restless Midlife podcast. And I'm delighted in this bonus interview episode to be joined by uh, Elaine Cox, who is a bit of a hero of mine in terms of uh, research and writing around the, the 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 profession or the 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 world of coaching. Um, and uh, what I wanted, I'm really chuffed for my own sort of experience to be able to speak to you, Elaine, but also just to share some of share your midlife story and also some things that hopefully can be takeaways for our listeners who are fellow restless midlifers looking to sort of shape and shift aspects of their life, whether it's a health or career or business or what have you. So, hi, Elaine. Do you want to just say hi and, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, Dave. Yes, thanks for inviting me. This is fabulous. So, yeah, I'm an academic and researcher and an author, and I work with Oxford Brookes University. Um, I've been involved with mentoring and coaching since 1995, and I did my doctoral thesis on um, aspects of mentoring. So it was called uh, Mentors Born or Made. Right. So that was a while ago now. And, uh, and at Brooks, uh, fo- following that uh, doctoral experience of my own, I developed and validated the MA in Coaching and Mentoring Practice at Oxford Brooks, and then the Doctor of Coaching and Mentoring Programme for them as well. So I've done a lot of lecturing and a lot of supporting of uh, masters and doctoral students. Brilliant, yeah. And Lord- I, yeah, I'll tell you about a little bit about where I came from as well, shall I? Yeah, because... I, I left school at 16. And uh, my mum and my aunt thought it would be a good idea if I trained as a secretary. So, so that's what I did, did as I was told. And I trained as a secretary. And then I've, I did some temping work in a solicitor's, and I rather liked that. So I became a legal secretary. And I did that until I, got, uh, until I had children, really, yeah. And uh, always enjoyed that aspect of being a secretary. So that was my early life. And then um, 
later on when I had an opportunity and I went on a short course and uh, I heard about access course and I thought I could do that. That sounds interesting. And uh, I did the access course and then I applied to go to Warwick University when I was 39. Right. Yeah, so I started my degree when I was 40. Wow. So, uh, and again, well, that's that's classic midlife story there, isn't it, really? That, that yeah. you had one direction of travel um, and you decided it's sort of, you know, the course itself, was it a particular topic? Because it obviously... You've well, it, it found me rather than I found it because I was just, I was just putting, I was putting down anything on the form that had English with it. Yeah, because, right. you know, being a secretary, English was something I knew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was, uh, and I like literature. So I put down as my third choice on the form for Warwick, philosophy and literature. And they were the only one that uh, invited me for interview. So I had to go for an interview and I had to sit an exam. Right. So that was a scary day. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but they, liked, they liked what I had to say. And the, the philosophy department is very kind of um, uh, open and open to ideas. Yeah. So I liked that. I liked that their approach. Um, so, so you you did the access program there, and then moved into. I did the access program at the, the college in Banbury. Right. Okay. So that was what led you. Yeah, and then moved on to Warwick. I could have gone to, I could have gone to Oxford Brooks at that time, <laughs> but I didn't fancy it, <laughs> which is bizarre because I ended up working there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So in terms of it, what, what led you to sort of be looking at the access programme and, and then something, was it, was it a natural progression in the, the direction of your career, et cetera, or was it something that you were just looking for something different? Um, I was, uh, I'd uh, been through a divorce and uh, met somebody else who was a graduate. But before that, even before that, uh, when I was going through my divorce, I was doing a lot of reading and uh, getting a lot of ideas from all over the place. I really got involved and interested in um, reading different types of literature, I suppose. And my son said to me, he was, uh, he was about 16 at the time, he was looking at courses and university possibilities, A-level topics and things. And he said, Mum, you ought to go to university. And that always stays with me, I think, yeah. you know, out of the mouths of babes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I thought, yeah, one day maybe I might do that. You know, just I was thinking maybe a short course or something. Yeah. 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 And here you are now. But <laughs> so then, you know, I had the opportunity to go on a, on a weekend uh, course and they talked about the access course as I say and then that was that was that and I didn't stop for 10 years Dave I went from my degree I did it full time in those days with a grant so um and then I did my master's part-time worked um worked pretty much full-time while I was doing the part-time master's and then I did my PhD straight afterwards and that was part-time so before I was 50, I'd got the PhD as well. Yeah. I so just didn't stop. I got the bug, good and proper. Yeah. It's interesting how life can chuck up sort of twists and turns that then yeah. can lead to. And this is, I guess this is one, one of the reasons that fascinates me about the midlife journey is that you have choices within that, yes, don't you? Yes. 
you know, choices to oh, just keep your head down, keep going, doing what you're doing, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you get those little opportunities that can lead to yeah, you didn't know what direction you were going to end up in, but take the next step. Yeah, yeah. don't realize it at the time. Well, when you look back, you can see those those turning points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just in terms of the 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 work that you've done since, um, yeah. In terms of the coaching in particular, I guess that's where what I'm particularly fascinated with is um, I'm going to shout out your book because it, it is uh, it's one of it's one of my favorites in there. Coaching Understood. I'm, I'm showing it on screen, although it's an audio podcast. But Coaching Understood: A Pragmatic Pragmatic Inquiry into the Coaching Process. Now, one of the things I loved about this is um, having had different experiences of coaching myself prior to you know really embarking on the, my own journey with this was um, just how varied I'm being charitable here I had some bad experiences on the receiving end of coaching and one of the things that was really heartening with doing the masters and also you know your work is is the 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 academic rigor to it and the efforts to to professionalize the 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 profession or turn it into a profession because I think in some respects it still can be seen as just a skill rather than a profession yeah um so for me it was really understanding the depth of those things now i know for listeners that's possibly not what they're interested in, but it, it, from a coaching perspective to understand why certain things work uh you know what is the process that somebody goes through um if they're on a journey of that you know wake, waking up to something else that's in them mm-hmm. one of the things that's particularly i loved in your model in the, in and this was the um the the um the, the court experiential coaching cycle um, and you talked about um, the surfacing of the emotions and the thoughts and the surfacing of experiences. Yeah. Now, that's something that's very close to my heart, but also I think it's something that um, I, I sense in a lot of co- coaching clients that there's a point where, you know, they come to coaching or they come to some sort of awareness through a sensing or a feeling that something's not right. Now, I, I, mm-hmm. what, what's your experience or what, what, you know, do you want to sort of develop that? aspect a little bit more from your expertise yeah well when I, when I was um when I was writing the book I, w- I was very aware that when I've been with with coaching clients um they they always came with some kind of dilemma mm. and, and it was quite difficult to get at that do you know what I mean to to and I wondered you know, if I look at the, the theory and the philosophy and the psychology behind behind accessing your feelings and emotions and trying to articulate them to somebody else so that they understand them and what you can do to help somebody do that. So that's what I was interested in when I wrote that very first chapter on touching experience. How do you touch somebody's experience? How, how do you get in touch with, with you know, we, we're individuals. We don't share that, you know. How do we know what they're feeling and what their emotions are? We think we do. Mm. We think we're being empathic or something, yeah? Mm. Yeah, and, and I guess there's also the part of how does the individual know? Some, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and often that's, that's I mean, with, without it without it being... Um, going into counselling or psychotherapy, just getting them to share what's troubling them or what what their what challenges they're facing, 
and, and get those out in the open and articulate them so you can work with them. It's really important. And it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't happen right at the beginning either. Yeah. Sometimes they they need to know you better before they'll share that. But I started at that point because you know the process is kind of iterative. But you have to you have to begin by asking the client. So so what do you want to to talk about? What do you want to get out of the session today? Yeah. Where where do you want to go with this coaching? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, I think that's been a, a recurrent experience of me, myself as a coach, is that often what's first presented isn't the thing, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and even to the extent that, and I've done it myself, you know, you think that's the thing when, you, when you're approaching coaching. You think that's what you want to talk about, but then you realise there's something else somewhere else yeah. behind it. And I think that's just the fascination of it, but also the, the, the fascination for the person as well, <laughs> seeing them go on that journey. Yes, yeah. So in, ter- in terms of it, I, I guess um, you talk about the, um, you know, you can be empathetic, empathic and, and open to them. Um, you, they've got to get to know you, um, mm-hmm. you know, in in the process and, and I, I guess trust you. But then I guess once they start talking, there's also this need to allow to, to sort of park or bracket, as you call it, the, our own sort of interpretation, our own values or beliefs mm-hmm. on that. And I think that's one of the challenges, isn't it, around letting somebody talk and just air it and then guiding them through it without, I guess, contaminating it to an extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned, so go on. No, I just, I just think that that's, you know, that kind of uh, parking of your own yeah. opinions and bias. I mean, that's the key to coaching, yeah. isn't it, really, just listening. Yeah. And not passing judgment or chipping in with your own advice. And that's, that's basic coaching yeah. advice. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you mentioned um, uh, you talk about clean language and and, and introduce that. Now, I had um, somebody, uh, a friend of mine within my circles, uh, Richard Dider, who's a writer, who's who's really exploring that aspect of clean oh. language in, in creativity and writing. So it's a slightly yeah. different perspective. But what? how do you, what's your view on that in terms of, how that might play into the coaching process. Well, that's really, really useful, really interesting. And I wrote a paper with, with a, a colleague. Um, we were together, we were teaching a, a module on the MA uh, on online learning. And this is really early on, about 2004-ish. Yeah, so before the days of Zoom and yeah. when, when most of, of the learning was done through text so you would be emailing somebody or post you know posting things on on a a learning uh, platform of some sort we were using webct at the time but uh, you everything had to be precise and clean so particularly if you were trying to coach online uh, your email responses to a, a client would need to be clean, if you like. So clean language, we, we found, was a really useful tool then, yeah, for making things simple and laying things out precisely. Yeah. Being very careful and repeating yeah. and checking back and things like that, yeah. Yeah, my understanding of the clean languages as well is that you you are very careful not to introduce in your responses or your further questioning. That's right something that might 
give a, indicate your opinion or a perception or, or right. what advice you might be thinking in the back of your head that you're trying to bracket. And so important for online communication because uh, it's it's very easy if you put yourself in the position of somebody's just opened an email and you and you read all kinds of things into it. Yeah. And we were concerned that that uh, to clean it up so that so that, that wouldn't happen, so that it would be received purely, if you like. So the, uh, the the coaching client would uh, be able to just focus on their own issues and not become involved in what the, the motivation of the coach might be for writing. Why did they put that? What do they mean by this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because I think to an extent, you are sometimes you're looking for well, you're looking for, as a as when you approach coaching, you are looking for answers and 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 direction to an extent even though hopefully as you go through the coaching process you really you sort of learn that actually I'm, I'm working this out myself i'm looking to organize my own thinking and, and come up with my own uh, approach to this but yeah in terms of you men- mentioned um well one of the things obviously that's clear from the the the, the study around coaching is that we've taken a, a a lot of the models and the sort of experience within the therapeutic world amongst other things and and sort of try to sort of shape it and and see what can work within coaching how do you see uh, the difference between coaching and therapy because i think that's i had a friend of mine who's who's a fellow coach used to say sometimes you end up knocking on the door of therapy mm-hmm. which is kind of an interesting way of looking at it but you also got to be clear about where where the lines are and where you, or, or where you might be stepping beyond your experience or expertise you know yeah, well, I, I early on in my my training uh, of being a coach, various uh, short courses and certificate things, um, I went on a solution focus weekend. I think it was a weekend, and uh, that really just summed it up for me. That I thought that this this is really what the difference for coaching is. It's it's about solutions. It's about the future, mm. rather than unpacking what happened in the past, what traumas or, you know, bad things have happened to us in the past. It's not about digging those up, but it's about setting out a plan for tackling the future. Future right. is, is new. Uh, Tomorrow is a new day. And you don't have to, as, as somebody once said to me, you don't have to shovel out the darkness to switch on the light. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think it's, it, I mean, uh, uh, you know, there, there is a case and a place for therapy, obviously, if somebody's particularly stuck, and I know I've had one or two clients where we've had to park and kind of access uh, specific yeah. support, which I think is obviously really vital. Um, and I guess the, the the moving or looking towards the future, part of it is anticipating where there might be some obstacles or where you might get in your own way. Mm-hmm. So um, one of one of the areas that I particularly work with um, midlife is on is health and around sort of just reclaiming a bit of health and sort of getting getting back into some healthier habits and shape. They've been so busy with a profession or a career or a family and or yeah. Yeah. Uh, that they've parked their own health without necessarily knowing. And a few years mm-hmm. later, they've realised, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm my legs are burning walking up the stairs. I'm just I've got a few extra pounds on that. I'm I would like to shift that kind of thing. And one of the things that I find is there's a very there is a very clear future aspirations and goals that we yeah. can but also acknowledging that sometimes that self-talk harks back to past. Yes. 
And it's how to navigate that without, you know, sometimes it might be important that if it is something particularly traumatic that they, they need to do some work on outside of it. But awareness of past experiences and stories mm-hmm. and, and how they link, how, how, how do you see that in terms of playing forward and managing the potential obstacles that you can set yourself? Yeah, I know, I know there's a, a role there for, for that kind of awareness of, of where you've come from and, and where you are now and then setting a kind of map for where you want to be and looking at the steps on the way to it. So in, in this new book, uh, Braver Leaders in Action, yeah. uh, we talk about, uh, there's a little section in there called Mind the Gap. So it's looking at that gap between where you've been and where you are right now mm. and and where you want to get to in the future. So, so yes, that, that recognition is, is important and, and um, can be discussed and talked about. I mean, if, if, if a client does get upset and you can see that, the, the, uh, you know, it's a significant trauma that, that needs professional working through with a, with a psychotherapist, then then that can you that referral can be made, but so and, some, and, and some psychotherapists are amenable to having having a client have a coach at the same time. I, I know of people who coach while somebody's having therapy yeah. as yeah. they're doing something different, working with plans for the future and fulfilling goals. They can. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I think that's important to to, to sort of be very clear that. Um, if it's going to be a genuine partnership in that that yes. everybody's informed of it um, yeah. yeah so when you talk about the gap do, do, do you want to just explain a little bit more about that in terms of what you mean by that because i think that's a really important part of the the moving forward um you know almost shedding of an identity or a shifting of their the, how they see themselves in order as they move forward yes yeah. well it's it's about identifying the um the, the steps that you might need to take to, towards the new goal and being realistic about those as well and maybe accepting the fact that you know it might be uh, two steps forward and one step back mm. so it, it doesn't all happen nice and linearly and sometimes you have to take a sideways move to be able to move forward at all with where you're going and sometimes that can lead you to a, a more useful uh, place or a more useful goal so all of that's up for discussion. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's an element of sort of being aware and flexible in that as well, because you're right that if an opportunity presents itself, if you're so yes. rigidly on there yeah, and you miss something that actually could be fun and actually could shift you in a slightly different direction. That's, or right. that's right. I mean, we don't know, do we? Because the future is, there's a lot of it. It's so unknown, completely unknown. So being aware in that moment in the gap as we're working forward, I like that. As a, as and, a... and to see how you feel inside about it. I mean, if something excites you, but it's not, you know, it takes you off track, then maybe you ought to listen to that excitement inside you and think, well, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for a while and see where that takes me. Don't forget, if you're finding that your health has taken a backseat whilst you work to achieve greatness in other areas of your life, the Reshape Academy, my coaching and programs are here to help you continue to achieve that success with and not at the expense of your health. Find out more at midlifereshape.com. Yeah. So what? it's a good point about um, feelings and emotions is what part do they play in, in that journey 
Um, you know, because one of the things I've found is being in touch with the feelings is something that many of us may not be that mm. skilled at, I, for want of a better phrase. You know, yeah. we might spend a lot of time parking emotion in order to, you know. Yeah. So I yeah. guess it's, it's what part do they play in helping you guide you as you move forward in these, you know, deciding your goals, deciding what direction and moving forward, you know. Yeah, well, some some emotions would be very useful in that, recognising that, like, you know, if you're highly motivated or excited, like I say, that, that could be a good sign. But but if you feel anger or frustration, then that can uh, signal that perhaps that isn't the right way to be moving. Yeah, and I, I suppose it's distinguishing between that and sometimes when you do have a bad day or you do feel like you can't be bothered yeah. or, when, yeah. you know, it's distinguished, it's starting to learn learn the difference between that mm. yeah i think that takes time doesn't it to to do that yeah uh yeah i i i remember lots of times where i've had to um well i beat myself up after a bad day and yeah. then oh, one day when i was driving home from work and i was beating myself up about something something trivial uh i suddenly thought I think I'll think about that tomorrow and I'll just have a, a nice evening when I get home. And and that's what I started to do. I just think a night's sleep, there's a lot to be said for sleeping on it and thinking about it the next day. Yeah. And one At one time I even had a, phys- a little physical basket, a little decorative basket by the bed because somebody had said, said, I think they were talking metaphorically, write your worries on a bit of paper and put them in a basket by the bed. And I think that was a metaphor, but I actually have a little basket by the bed. And, I, I, and at bedtime, I would write down all the worries and things that were you know, concerning me and likely to keep me awake. And I put them in the basket and it really helped. And then I slept better and I looked at them the next morning and they were silly things. You know? Didn't have so much power over me the next morning. Yeah, and I think th- this is where one of the, the practices that I talk about um, a lot is, is well, reflective practice, you know, um, mm. and sort of introducing that into our our day-to-day life. As a coach, you know, mm. as a professional, I, I do that reflective practice, but also I've come to do it as a, from a personal level yeah. and, and trying to and sort of encouraging others to find the benefit in daily touch and base with a journal or something where you just consider those things because I think that's where – perhaps developing your understanding of how emotions can be really useful, but they can also be, you know, if we react, um, they could also be misleading depending on where we're at. So getting to know the new ones and the... That's right. right. And you can look at them from different and diff, different angles. I used to do an exercise with uh, students whereby we, we just described the emotion or the feeling, whatever it was, um, describe it. And what what you know what what went before it, and then and then you'd look at it from different angles, look at it more factually, mm. yeah. And then you would say, so so um, what might I learn from this? Mm. Yeah, and and break down the reflection into different aspects. That can be useful rather than just sit down with a blank piece of paper. Yeah. Think about uh, yeah. So so you begin by just logging the emotion. Say this is what happened. 
Yeah. And then then you then you can explore it in more detail and say, how did it make me feel? You know, yeah. And then and then you analyze it. Yeah. And then you take the learning from it. So pretty much four steps. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be quite helpful, especially for people that haven't reflected much before. Yeah, because it's, it's sometimes you kind of be quite intimidated by a blank page. You think, well, what do I write? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> write loads here. What, what, you know, what is the point of all of this? But actually, you're right. If you if you kind of keep it simple initially, yes, just that you can start to develop the, the what you learn from it, mm. and probably pick up trends as well. I guess over time, you know, if you start to see similar things, yes, yeah, and then you keep repeating the same thing, and then you, or you keep keep having the same emotion, yeah. Like yeah. me beating myself up. I beat mm. myself up in the car going home so many times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so you, then you learn. Yeah, and you you find little ways, don't you? And, and it's capturing those to think, right, that worked. So I'm mm. going gonna, gonna yeah. to have it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned metaphor before. Um, and... How how useful is metaphor within? Because I know it, it comes up in clean language, you know, and some of the questions mm. that, that can be asked. But how useful is metaphor in helping somebody articulate an experience or articulate their thinking around a, what they're wanting to achieve? Yeah, yeah, Met- metaphor um, and also creative materials can be really useful as well. So it's the same kind of process, really, just um, putting something in the place of the emotion or the dilemma. Um, so what's that like? Um, you could you could do it with um, asking them to draw a picture or I once went to a workshop where someone used fabrics. Had a, they had a whole selection of fabrics and wanted us to, to uh, you know, be in touch with, with uh, our dilemma, our current dilemma, and then choose a fabric and interact with it. That was, uh, you know, quite unusual and and quite um, uh, emotionally charged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. With on on my masters with um, uh, Ron Lawson's um, uh, approach around the reflective side, way using an artifact, create an artifact yes, yes. To, to sort of yeah. become or reflect or resemble to be to be a place for the emotional feelings and a different That's perspective. Right. And it, if you haven't experienced it, this is one of the things where I think um, I'm a big fan of metaphor and, and sort of creating those things because it can help create that distance. That's right. From it rattling around your head all the time, something yeah, right. else, and it represents this. This is what the meaning is, and we're articulating it around that particular yeah. artifact. The metaphor is usually in language, but if you get yeah. away from language, you can use other things as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, I remember I had um, uh, somebody on um, David Wood, who's a creative expert, and he talks about using objects and just picking mm-hmm. randomly an object and sort of seeing what that could mean. And I think sometimes it can be useful as well as, you know, even picking a random object and sort of trying to em- see what how that might embody, you know, that randomness of something. So it's yeah. it's it's the importance of getting it out of your head when yeah. you're locked in and, and perhaps yeah. you don't see it yeah. outside, which is where metaphor talking about it could be useful. Yeah. Or even, or even in a coaching situation, actually sharing a model that's drawn, you know, right, yeah. in, 
front and you can you can know, point to bits of it and just getting it out there yeah it's good yeah yeah and challenging the thinking isn't it because one of the things i find with some of the, the 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 models that i might share with a client is that um it gets them to think in a slightly different way even though they may not get it initially because yeah. to think about it and sometimes a penny drops or something clicks about yeah. another aspect of that that thinking feeling whatever later yeah yeah uh, yeah. yeah so yeah. that's that's very powerful so i think it's i guess one of the, the things is for somebody to start to articulate, start to get it out of their head, whether through language or, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking to somebody journal or artifact. Um, so it can be really useful just to help them shift along. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, just in relation to um, the work they do now, the book that you, do you want to give a shout out to the book that you? Oh, you, the book, yes. Yeah, because I know that's <laughs> your, the current work that you, you've just yeah, published. Just, just published earlier this month, June. Um it's called Braver Leaders in Action, and the subtitle is Personal and Professional Development for Principled Leadership. So I've, I've written this with Mike McLaughlin, who did his uh, uh, doctorate with us um, at Oxford Brooks on Braver Leaders. So it's um, this is our second book on this topic. But this one is much more about putting the ideas into action. So it's a very practical book. And it's very current because the context that we talk about uh, braver leaders in uh, relation to our current existential crises like pandemic, mm. war in Ukraine, climate change, the, the challenges that leaders are going to have to face will require them to be brave. Mm. So, so that's, that's why we wrote the book. And it has eight chapters, and there are eight key kind of aspects of becoming braver, um, becoming aware, generating motivation, challenging mindsets, things that we've pulled out from um, Mike's experience and his research and my experience um, and pulled together. And in so each, there's eight chapters, and within each chapter, there's four cornerstones. We call them cornerstones, uh, building blocks, if you like, for the braver leader to address. Yeah, um, like understanding our own um, emotions, being kind. That's in the chapter on emotional intelligence um, for motivation. The first cornerstone is becoming inspired. So, you know, to be motivated, you need some inspiration. And then uh, thinking about the future you and committing to committing to the commitment then. Uh, this is really important. Reg- regulating or dialing down the ego, so becoming yeah. more humble, yeah? Yeah, so there's loads in there. Yeah. You mentioned inspiration, um, and uh, in the context of some of the the challenges that you just mentioned, you know, for the world, um, yeah. it is that it, it, for leaders, I think the challenge is to to find that source of hope and inspiration to to then move into shaping and changing and and, and you know inspiring others, I guess. But I guess it's that 
Is there anything in there around that? You know, how do you find that inspiration? Where do you find it? Or what do you look for? Because I guess there's a lot of, you know, there is a lot of negativity out there. And this is a challenge for many of us, whether you're a leader or an individual, if we're looking to make changes, often there's yeah. a lot of counter sort of energy against that, I guess. So what is it, you know, in terms of finding inspiration, how can they do that? Or what, what's some of the advice or thoughts? Um, well, one of, one of the ways they might do that is to think about who inspires them. Hmm. You know, what what leaders do they admire and what aspects of, of them do they want to emulate? Yeah, yeah, that's a very powerful exercise. I remember doing that in a leadership. Yes. That we've delivered in the past is, you know. Yes, it's quite common. That, yeah, uh, I think. I think one as well. And it doesn't have to be a real, you know, real world leader, Richard Branson or something. It can be a fictional leader. Right, yeah. Yeah, which is which is very good to do. Um, for instance, I was quite inspired when I watched Designated Survivor on Netflix. Have oh, you seen yeah. That? yeah. Yeah, you watched that? I've seen the first That guy season. there seemed to be, you know, he was humble. Mm. He, he uh, related to everybody. He, he was just so concerned that he was doing the right thing. Mm. Yeah. I thought he, he was good. We should have more uh, presidents like this. <laughs> yeah, very, very but, true. But fictional, yeah, sadly. <laughs> sadly, yeah, you're right. And one of the things I remember watching a couple of episodes for those of the, this is about a, a member of um, the American government who finds himself being the last per or the the person nominated to be president in after some major catastrophe. Um, but I think you're right about the characteristics. And one of the things was that he approached things with that humility and and yeah. lack of experience as well. That perhaps somebody who might be in that position through having gone through it might be cynical and untrusting he made mistakes he was for want of a better word shafted by people from time to time but he learned and he came back with it and i think that's where that bravery comes in as well isn't it because you know you if you're going to approach something with kindness with some openness and those things then there will be times when you make mistakes where you 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 you've manipulated or or somebody takes advantage. Yeah. But that's the bravery bit of like, right, okay, so what happened there? Rather than feeling defeated and down, you know, as a yeah. leader. Yeah. 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 yeah so, we talk so, about him in this book. Yeah, right. Yeah. Great. And you know, I totally get it because I, I think as a character, it's brilliant, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland, isn't it? Or is it? I can't anyway, whoever it is, the actor in it, but yeah. I can't remember the actor, no. Yeah. But I, I think, so in terms of it, the, I mean, this book sounds like, as you say, really timely and and um, and really important. So you've just launched it, um, and I take it in terms of its leadership in any form, you know, in any organisation. What What's your aspirations for the book and for, for reaching... Well, it's it's going well. The publisher is doing lots of work um, to promote it, and we, what we, Mike and I are writing various uh, short pieces for trade um, leadership magazines and online journals and things. Yeah, cool. um, so that's going well, and uh, the publisher's putting it forward for business book of the year. Oh wow! Great. December, so we're at early stage with that, but yeah. 
Um, we'll see how we go with that. But it's on their list to nominate. But, but that's a, a big process that uh, has to go to a long list and then a short list. And, but it's nice for the publisher to put it forward. Yeah, yeah, great. And if it's if, from my experience, if it's like any of your other books, then it's it's it contains some really excellent. Well, I read the conclusion before before our talk this morning, yeah. and uh, it made me cry. All right. So what what was it? Go on then, give us a, a feel for, for um, it. Read it out if it's. So we've been. I've been talking about um, two, of, two of the major uh, uh, issues for leaders coming up, the climate and the environment, and then well-being and mental health, which is another issue, one that's particularly close to Mike's heart. So I've been talking about how braver leaders might uh, navigate those issues and, and about... Um, what bravery might mean there, and then we begin. We began the book with a question, so I brought it in right at the end of the book. So we began this book by asking a question for our readers to keep in mind. If you knew without a shadow of a doubt that your mission was to make a real difference in the world, what would you begin by doing now, today? So now, as we let go of our ideas and the book begins its journey into the world, we want to ask that question again as a call to arms and urge all readers to think about what difference they can make and what action they can take. As a well-known and very brave caped crusader said in the film Batman Begins, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. So it is a call to arms, this book. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think, you know, not just to leaders, I think to all of us, because for me, the restless midlifer is more than just shifting to do something that you want to do. Although that's that in itself is great. It's about recognising that perhaps, you know, there's still something else in me that I could give that I wanted, yeah, you know, right. and, and it's a two-way street because I'll get a lot out of fulfilling my, yeah. whatever that purpose is or, yeah. or following a, a yeah. particular interest or passion. Um, yeah. But there's a benefit on the other side. And I think we need more That's of that. Right. That's and right. In the midlife yeah. doesn't mean yeah. that. Yeah. And this word we use in that conclusion is legacy. Yeah. 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 I think legacy is something that comes to play a bigger part when you hit midlife and get past midlife. Yeah. 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 Because I think there's a lot of questions, isn't there? You know, what have I achieved? What, have I, what time have I got left? And yeah. what am I making of it? What about this scratch that I haven't itched before this voice, yeah. here, voice, this That's feeling? Right. Um, and you're right. And I think those can become very proud and actually can feel a bit overwhelming if we are not in, you know, if we're not open and exposed to the possibility that actually you could do something. There are things you could do, you know, whether it's in a leadership role or just personally making changes within within your world. So, yeah, I think that's a really powerful thing, and it does resonate very much with the the restless midlife ethos. Yeah, yeah. Now, I've worked hard. I've lived a life, and perhaps it's not quite the the fulfilment that I've achieved. I've got a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be appreciative of, but there's still something else I can give and I can do and I want mm. to achieve for me and for perhaps knocking a little dent in the world, even if it's my corner of the world. So, yes. So I think that's actually, that's a lovely way to finish on it because I think um, 
it's it is about that and and our it's I'm really honored to have you on the on the uh, the podcast and to ask you some questions and I know for this is perhaps some of those are delving into the the coaching aspect of it but again from a from a self coaching perspective it is about recognizing that exactly that that you know we, we might be in midlife we might still have dreams or ambitions or things that we want to to chase down and we can articulating and allowing the feelings to surface and then getting to know our feelings to sort of allow them to factor in and direct us can be really useful. Um, And that's where coaching could come in, but it can also be that idea of starting to listen to ourselves, perhaps through some reflective practice and and that kind of thing. So we can sort of tease out that goal ourselves. So thank you for your time. It's been brilliant to meet you, uh, Elaine. Thank you, Dave. Great. And what I will just for listeners, as always, there'll be links in the show notes, um, including the links to, um, well, the book that I've referenced, um, your any site that you particularly want to direct me to, but also the book that uh, the, uh, the, the new book as well, which I think is very, very timely and very powerful. So thanks very much for your time. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Good luck. Look at, good luck, everybody. <laughs> thanks. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget, you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.